This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. You can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, So that's uh, Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there. podcast today, I just want to let you know that we began this new year with uh, also putting the podcast on YouTube. And so if you search YouTube, and it's a little bit tricky to find some because we don't have that many hits. So if you search for Rediscovering God, you may not find us. But if you put our names in, all three names, Ian Hartley, Warren K., Sasha Steenbergen, then I'm told that it will come up. So uh, put our names in and you can watch us live on YouTube. So as we continue today, we're uh, picking up part two of um, discerning the devil in the Old Testament. And last time we described some glasses to look at the Old Testament with because we discover that even though the devil is not described in the Old Testament, it's very evident that he is there. And there were uh, six or so uh, Bible passages where it becomes very evident that even though it says the Lord, it really cannot be the Lord. And we discovered that the Hebrews didn't believe in the devil. They still don't believe in a devil. The Jews don't believe in a devil. They just attribute anything supernatural to God. And so you have these statements where God does good and he does evil. Now, because of what Jesus has taught us, we understand there is a devil. And so we would say God does the good, the devil does the evil. And so we're going to continue today by looking at more examples, but these are not as as blatant. These are a little bit more subtle, uh, but it's helpful to see these so that and we're not obviously going to cover all of them in every situation, but give to give people, give you tools to be able to distinguish, is this talking about God or is this their understanding 
and it really is the devil at work. So Ian, take us into the first uh, case study for today. Yeah, yeah, what we're doing is we're reading the Old Testament uh, through the eyes of Jesus, using the understandings he shared with us. So this takes a little bit of decoding, like all literature. And if you read Shakespeare, uh, you, you have to get into it. Um, you can't just take it at face value because words, meanings have changed, the grammar is different and the culture was different. So that's what we're really doing is just doing what you normally do with literature. Well, and it's true that the Bible is an ancient document. And so it, it is a, a, a very, it wasn't just written last week in the current terms that we use. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, as Warren mentioned, the covert or less blatant examples of attributing the devil's work to God. So we're starting right at the beginning with Eve. In Genesis 3, verse 13, Sasha, will you read that, please? Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So uh, it's not rocket science to say that she's blaming the serpent. Mm -hmm. But we stop there instead of uh, continuing with what she's thinking. Who made the serpent? I mean, God made the, everything. Yeah. So she's actually blaming God. Uh, she's saying, well, you made the serpent. Right. Uh, and, and it's the serpent that deceived me. Mm -hmm. So... She implies um, that it's God actually who, who seduced her. Mm. I mean, you know, like, uh, of course, neither of you do, but I've heard of couples where the one will say, your children. <laughs> <laughs> right. Know, what's the implication? I'm disassociating myself from these kids. You know, mm -hmm. they, they've got all your characteristics. They mm -hmm. lucked out on mine. <laughs> well, well, that's what's happening here. No, just uh, on mm -hmm. the side, what really intrigues me about this is that Eve doesn't say, what? You're a snake talking to me. <laughs> True. There's yeah. no surprise there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, for me, it's an indication that they could communicate with the animals. And uh, so this is, uh, Warren, I don't know if you remember or if I did it in Israel when you were with me, but I like to ask Jewish people, so explain that story to me. Mm -hmm. uh, because when a Christian reads this story, we use the New Testament Revelation 12, verse 9, which says that old serpent, the devil. So we immediately conclude, oh, this is the devil. So here's what Jewish people tell me. They, they're very consistent on the questions I ask them. Mm. They say, you know, that woman was so evil. She blamed an animal for what she did. So you read the story and you say, oh, the devil is seducing Eve. A Jewish person reads it and says, wow, you know what? I better be careful of the evil in me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Because they don't have revelation, so they don't have that perspective. So they've come up with a whole other way of understanding it. So, uh, you know, we did a podcast on uh, how Jesus revealed the existence of the devil. And that was not just Jesus amplifying what we got from the Old Testament. That was a new revelation for us. We underestimate the, the intelligence of the devil. He hid himself, even in God's word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's not discerned there. Yeah, really, he, he's non-existent in the Old Testament. Um, the whole Old Testament, he's only referred to, what, three and a half times. Yeah. We talk about that in the other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's just not there in a visible way. And yet he's working behind the scenes all over the place, as we've noted here. Mm -hmm. So we, we're moving to the second case study. Uh, and that is God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, this is a uh, what we're going to talk about here is controversial. Sasha, you've in good voice this morning. Read Genesis 22, 1 and 2, please. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So uh, we need to be very careful with the words here. What your version said was God tested Abraham. Uh, do you know of any place where it says that God tempted Abraham? Um, any other translation I mean? Oh. It, is it always tested? See, there's a difference between a temptation and a test. Uh, it's perfectly legit to test a person to see if they can drive a vehicle or fly an aeroplane mm -hmm. or whether their blood pressure is within normal ranges. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with testing. Uh, there is something sinister about tempting a person. So I'm just curious if any of you have run into a translation which uses tempted. I don't think I have. I think it's always yeah. been tested. Yeah, I just checked another one, and it's also showing up as tested, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk a little bit more about the difference between a test and a temptation. A temptation has moral overtones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A test doesn't. I mean, whether you can drive a car or not, whether you fail your test or not, uh, it has no moral implication doesn't make you a bad person or a good person. Right. So it's, it's when it becomes a moral issue uh, that a test becomes a temptation. Here's a definition of temptation. When a, a person is powerfully moved to do a wrong action that they know they can do. See, right and wrong is coming into you. And... You have to know that you can do it. For instance, uh, I'm never tempted to turn uh, rocks into bread. 
but Jesus was because he knew he could do it. True. Mm -hmm. Right. So you powerfully moved. Uh, it's an emotional experience. You moved. It's not just a cognitive thing. Now, you can have cognitive temptations, but usually temptations have to do with your um, feelings uh, more than your reasoning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And tests usually have to do with your cognition or skill set. Yeah, I mean, it, they are set there to show that you do know the material or know the skills that yeah. are there. So I guess I wonder, though, so you're saying that this is really a temptation, yes. not a test. Yeah, this is, this is not about some theoretical issue. This is about does Abraham love God? I mean, that's how it ends. Now that I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. So is it fair to test a person's love for you? If my wife introducing me to an available young woman to find out if I only love her, is that valid? What, what would you... Uh, how would you respond to that? Would you say that's moral or immoral? Definitely. <clears throat> I think that that it wouldn't be a, a right way to go. Yeah. And anytime I've heard of people saying, you know, if you love me, then you will do this. Yeah. Um, it's always been in relationships that are no longer uh, there uh, and where that has been a sign later of some sort of emotional abuse or something like that. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to this in a bit. Um, I'm suggesting that this command, test, temptation, whatever you want to call it, this voice cannot possibly be from God because of Jesus. Jesus um, has this high moral standard um, uh, it's much higher than the Ten Commandments. I, I just cannot put the two together. For instance, in Leviticus 20, I know this is written after Abraham, uh, Leviticus 20, verse 2. Warren, perhaps you can read that. Um, this is one of a few places uh, where the matter of sacrificing a human being is addressed in the Old Testament. Leviticus 20, verse 2, give the people of Israel these instructions, which apply both to the native Israelites and to the foreigners living in Israel. If any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Moloch, they must be put to death. The people of the community must stone them to death. So God was obviously very opposed to this whole idea of child sacrifice. Yes. I mean, this is a very categorical statement, dogmatic, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Now, um, to say, well, uh, the command hadn't been instituted yet is difficult for me to accept because this is God giving the command. Uh, and has God changed? Was it okay formally? And uh, because this is child sacrifice. And then we have the sixth commandment, 
which forbids, now it depends on uh, which rabbi you're following. <laughs> Whether the sixth commandment says, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. Because people who want the death penalty, uh, they, they're very adamant that this means thou shalt not murder. They reserve the right to execute people under certain circumstances. And uh, the, the hawks who are in favor of going to war over Christian uh, principles, they will argue strongly that this is murder and not killing because they want their right to go and kill other people. Mm. And I would argue um, subjectively that no Christian father would believe this was God's voice or, or a Christian mother. You both have children. Could you believe that God would ask you to execute one of your children? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot. So let me take the pressure off and say, I could never believe that God would ask me to do something like this. It's true that if I, if I began to have that impression, um, I'd be checking myself into a mental institution. <laughs> oh, I would be if I knew about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and something else that even that comes up about that is like Satanist communities and stuff like that. That is one of their things that they do. And so to, to, to see like asking what kingdom does that come from? Um, like I'm with Warren, like if I felt that that was happening, like I would seek psychiatric help because I would clearly know something is not right. Yeah, we have, uh, we've talked about this in podcasts. There's a long uh, history of most cultures in the world resorting to human sacrifice in extreme conditions. The Mayans and the Incas in North America, they used to offer thousands of child sacrifices a year to guarantee that their gods would send the rain. Right. None of us would argue that that was a moral thing to do. So there are all these admonitions against worshipping Moloch, uh, which meant... Uh, children were tested, tested in quotes, because they would heat up Moloch and they would place their child in this idol's arms if the child survived. It was regarded as uh, untouchable in terms of moral punishment. That child could do anything afterwards, uh, like murder somebody, and they would never be punished. I doubt any but, other member survived. Yeah, no, no, not many survived. So Jesus was categorical uh, that there is no evil in God. Now, I remind you, this was a new idea that we've read many passages in the last podcast where God uh, has both good and evil attributed to him. 
So that was at the beginning of the last podcast. It's documented there. Mm-hmm. So for me to suggest that God could even imagine asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, I, I just can't do that any more than I can imagine God thinking up that somebody should have sex with David's wives and concubines because he had an affair with Bathsheba. Yeah, there's, there's a, this is a very challenging story. And uh, I think it, it um, perhaps we should take a full podcast to look at this story because there's some very interesting dynamics going on here. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to pursue some of them, but not on today's uh, podcast. Okay, nice. we can do that. Like it. Um, third case study we're doing is the Lord attempts to kill Moses and his family. So this is after uh, Moses uh, uh, meets the burning bush in the desert, and the voice out of the bush uh, says to him, uh, I want you to go down to Egypt. Now he's on his way to Egypt. Sasha. Exodus 4, 24 to 26. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I think we can safely conclude that Moses... Uh, and, and Zipporah had discussed this matter of circumcision, and she must have been against it. Uh, and I say that because, well, clearly the, the boys weren't circumcised, and she knew exactly what to do. So Moses didn't say anything to her according to the story. She just circumcised her, her son, Uh, And then she says to Moses, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. You caused me to shed the blood of our child, not kill him, but circumcise him. The family is in disobedience for the covenant sign given to Abraham. This means God's protection is forced away. And the devil would like to kill Moses. He does not want the Israelites liberated from Egypt. But the story is told um, that uh, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. I remind you that the Hebrew culture um, believed that both good and bad came from God in supernatural matters. So this supernatural matter, because God has sent Moses to uh, Egypt and given him all these signs. And now God's trying to kill him. What are you going to do with that? I'm going to do with it what my understanding of Hebrew culture leads me to do. This is a supernatural uh, confrontation because the, the great God has sent Moses on a mission. The only way that Moses' life could be threatened then is if God threatens him. No other being is strong enough to prevent uh, what God has willed for Moses. It dawned on me that when Moses was an infant, there was an attempt to take his life. Mm -hmm. All the babies were thrown into the river. 
Yeah. And he was rescued. Yeah. And and um, so it, it's like if we can get behind the 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 idea of the devil, he, he knew from the Garden of Eden that there uh, one day would come a child. And and so perhaps he thinks, well, he suspects, he doesn't know God's plan, but he suspects that Moses is an important baby. He tries to get him destroyed, doesn't work. Now Moses is an adult, he's married, he has children, he's in the, you know, in the wilderness there. And God calls him. Satan would be aware that God had called him to send him back to deliver the people so that this plan could continue that God has designed. And so he tries to prevent it from happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for instance, the, the fertility problem that the Hebrew woman had, you know, Sarah, mm -hmm. uh, Rachel, um, Hannah. Yeah. Uh, and there are probably more that uh, I'm not thinking of right now. I believe that was also uh, the devil at work. Mm. Mm -hmm. trying to prevent the birth of this child that had been prophesied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when Moses kills the Egyptian, Moses' life is in danger. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to Pharaoh's knowledge that uh, this is what Moses has done, he, he realizes that this is a, a, an act of treason. Mm -hmm. And he wants to kill him. And... He, he sent his special forces after him. We can be sure of that. Okay, so uh, the scripture says the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Mm -hmm. um, from what we've talked about, this, this is not uh, correct. Mm -hmm. But it's understandable from the culture. Yeah. Well, and again, the phrase that we used last time was that many times the Lord is attributed to doing what he didn't prevent. Here, the enemy came to prevent him from going, and God didn't prevent that. And, and so it, he gets attributed as doing it himself. Yeah. We're on uh, case study number four. And this one is the Lord gives Moses an opportunity to establish his dynasty. So, Warren, you want to read Exodus 32, 9 to 10? Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. So I've always read this story as... Uh, a heroic example of Moses' unselfishness, and it is that. But there's a terrible temptation here for Moses uh, in this story. This is the same temptation the devil brought to Jesus in the wilderness. Worship me, and I will give you the world. Mm -hmm. I will establish your dynasty on earth, and you will not have to go through the torture and execution that will happen if you don't worship me. Mm -hmm. Moses is again tempted in the same way when the 12 spies come back from exploring the land and the 10 give a negative report. Here's the story, Sasha, in Numbers 14, 10 to 12. 
But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. So maybe this reflects me more than the two of you. <laughs> but if God gave me this option, I'd say, right on, God, you finally <laughs> seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I sometimes wonder if it isn't, a, you know, I guess I've always, the way I've tried to rationalize it is God is testing how well Moses understands who God is. And he, and Moses stands in defense of God saying, no, you couldn't do this. You, you have, you know, as, as earlier, it's, it's challenging. Uh, yeah, I just, the words that come to my mind are are the texts that are always in, uh, that are the calming texts, like, I will be with you always. And, you know, I have, you know, numbered the hairs of your head. I will gather my chicks under my wings. Um, the idea of leaving someone alone to their anger uh, to destroy and annihilate just seems like that is so opposed to uh, who God is now to me that when I read that, I, I just completely say my lover or, or my safe person would never say those words to me. And I should know in my heart that that would never come from the person who has said, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Yeah. Thank you for pointing out that inconsistency. So this is not trying to minimize uh, the heroic response of Moses in any way. Um, all we're trying to do is say, this temptation that came to Moses was not from God. It parallels the temptation that came to Jesus. And uh, if you're going to say, uh, that uh, God tempted um, Moses or tested Moses, whatever word you want to, you pretty much have to say the same for what's happening to Jesus in the wilderness. Mm. Because uh, they're so parallel. Wow, this is big. This somehow just blows it wide open for me. I mean, I feel like the Old Testament is filled with these kind of... Um, things and it's like they're landmines and when it says i the lord or whatever it is right like right away you're like oh my goodness okay like this is god talking here you know but to see that why why wouldn't he um try to impersonate so to speak right mm -hmm. so i i want to draw your attention to the lord's prayer because the Lord's Prayer focuses on temptation. Now, the, the older translations, the more formal translations say, lead us not into temptation. So with that statement, uh, it's implied that sometimes God tempts you. 
Mm, yeah. You're asking him not to do it, please. And that'll fit very well with believing that uh, many of these things we've dealt with in the Old Testament were actually from God. But now you get a new translation, uh, a very accurate and well-accepted one, like the New Living Translation, and it quotes Jesus as saying, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole different understanding. Well, and doesn't he just, this is just really, my mind is like seriously getting blown right now. Like it's coming in aftershocks. Um, the idea of implanting something that appeals to us because we are all about justice. We are all about the right will be made wrong. The way that we are, like when, when righteous indignation, like when we see that something bad has happened or people aren't listening or they're, you know, falling off the thing, you know, we're just like, we were going to, we're going to deal with it. We're going to make it right. Uh, we burn with anger when things happen and, and, and we somehow, you know, that's like very speaking our language. So it actually plays directly into the way that we operate, which makes it a perfect temptation because then it somehow makes us think, well, if God is that way, then it somehow makes us, I'm not explaining this right, but it's really coming for me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it gives us permission. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, this is good stuff. So the message um, says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Mm. That's insightful. Now, I, I have to unfortunately admit <laughs> that most translations retain the idea that you must ask God not to tempt you. But all translations use the conjunction, but. Now, we've talked about this before, that when right. you use the conjunction, but, you've got two opposing statements here. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Sasha, you do a good job on the podcast, but. Yeah. What have My I worst just fears are now going to get realized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a reality check for you. And yeah. you will forget that I said, Believe. you do a good job. As soon as I say, but yeah, you have amnesia. Yeah. Depression. That comes. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, even the, like the King James says, uh, lead us not to temptation, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. deliver us from the evil one. Uh, you have these opposing ideas there. It really doesn't work when you think about it, is that God sometimes tempts you and you have to ask him um, not to do it. Here's James 1, verse 12 to 15. One of you read it, please, James 1, and this is in the New Living Translation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, this is a very categorical statement by James. 
And uh, notice that uh, at least in the New Living Translation, it starts out by saying, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. It's kind of equating the two. You can't say it's definitely happening, but there's that suggestion there. Somehow, when I first read that, I somehow, because it said God blesses at the beginning, I it led me into my older way of thinking that was like, well, God blesses those who endure testing and temptation. But the testing part was from God somehow because it's God blesses those. But then when I read further, I really got the sense that it was like, God knows that we are going to be tempted and that we are going to have all these things happen, but that we can, that he will, that he will gather us together at the end, knowing that we have to endure all that stuff, but that it's not from him, but that it is from the evil one who is tempting us and doing all that to us, including the testing part. I mean, that's just my gut right now, but that's different than how I've always read it before. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Abraham and Moses were tested morally. Um, I mean, the fact that Abraham did not sacrifice his son, this is a huge ethical dilemma that he was placed in. It's a moral uh, problem that he has to deal with. Um, and where did that come from? Does God do that? He doesn't need to do it because the devil's doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, God doesn't need to add temptations to us uh, when the devil's hard at work with them all the time. So I want to go back. Clearly, Moses uh, is a child of his culture and time. He's unaware of the existence of the devil. He never addresses Satan or the devil in any of his writings. Uh, it's just completely absent. And so he attributes these, what he considers supernatural temptations that come. And I would think that asking a, a man to um, execute his only son and the son of promise uh, is a supernatural temptation because we have uh, another uh, a case study to do. Let me just add one point here is why was there a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? And why was it called good and evil and not just evil? I mean, uh, it didn't have a sign on it which said, hello, this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. uh, it was more subtle than saying, this is the tree of evil. So the, the accusation, as near as I can tell, that uh, Satan made against God was that God is not only good, but that he is also evil in that he does some things just for himself. He's selfish, in other words. And the tree is labeled this way so that if you eat from this tree, uh, literally or philosophically, you come to believe that God is the source of good and evil. 
Yeah, I've never really thought about the idea of why it was given both names. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. And, and so another name for the tree of life would be God is only good. Mm. So you get to choose, or they, they could choose between believing God is only good or God is a mixture of good and evil. Yeah. Right. And that's the one they chose. And we've battled with this oh. choice ever since. <laughs> I just heard that. I just heard it. Yeah. Wow. It's 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 ingrained right in the scripture in the whole Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. But this this is why in the first chapter of John, um, he will say things like the light appeared uh, in the darkness, and the darkness has never overpowered it. And why John will say, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Mm-hmm. It's like John got it. He that God is not, God doesn't have a dark side to him. Mm-hmm. Transparently uh-huh. and authentically, love, unselfishness, goodness, light, whatever you want to call it. So, without rewriting the whole Old Testament, he's challenging those views of God in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Um, and, and that's what Jesus is about. Yeah. Um, you know, Hebrew says in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there we go again. But in these last days, his son came in, and he is the exact representation of God. He is the only eyewitness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is the radiance of his being. Mm-hmm. So now, you see, I can't help myself. I'm a fanatic. Um, Luke 16, 16. Um, Warren, if you'll read that, please. This is Jesus speaking. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. I mean, that's as plain as the nose on your face. Yeah. Up until John the Baptist, your guide was the law of Moses, first five books and the prophets. But now, the good news of the kingdom of God, that's what Jesus came with, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is preached. And when you hear it, you're eager to get into it. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so crucial that the Bible has to be understood through the eyes of Jesus. Yeah. Because he's the one that is God. He understands God. He's close to the heart of God and is wanting us to understand him in a way as a, as a father loves a child rather than a judge that's try, that is uh, condemning a, a convict. Yeah. We're on to the fifth case study, and this is a New Testament. One, but it's in the Old Testament uh, paradigm. Sasha, if you'll read Second Thessalonians two nine to twelve. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He you, he will use every kind of evil deception 
to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. God is going to cause them to believe a lie in the older versions or to be greatly deceived. Mm. Can't be. You know, so I, I wish that the New Testament writers had completely escaped the paradigm of the Old Testament writers. But every now and then they slip back into their old ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So God is going to cause them to believe a lie? No, I think not. Mm -hmm. You know, what the writer is trying to do is to say, you know, the fact that these people can believe this lie is supernatural. And I just don't get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. After yeah. all that God has done, mm -hmm. they're going to believe these counterfeit power signs and miracles. Mm. You, you know, we like to say God is holy. and God is holy. Uh, and holiness cannot deceive or cause people to be deceived. And we read that in James. When you're deceived, uh, tempted, don't say this is coming from God. This is coming from your own desires. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I am the truth in John 14, which mm -hmm. means God is also the truth because Jesus and God are congruent. Yeah. When the truth is refused, the devil moves in to deceive us and we become captive to his way of thinking. So we, we've done five case, study, uh, case uh, uh, studies uh, on the uh, less overt, less blatant uh, attribution of the devil's work to God. Uh, we did six uh, blatant examples. What shall we say in conclusion? When reading the Bible, we need to ask ourselves if the detail about the Lord in the stories rings true with the picture of God Jesus Christ gave us. If there's a conflict, we need to recognize, first of all, the conflict, and then that the devil, with his deceptions, has interwoven truth with falsehood. Mm -hmm. And um, some listeners might say, well, then the Bible isn't the inspired word of God. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The prophets, those who wrote, were inspired to write. I don't know if the two of you write. I write. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to write. For me, it's inspired. It's... Uh, but I think that can happen to any author, whether it be Stephen King or the creator of um, what's the Harry Potter stories. You know, it doesn't mean that the inspiration is from God necessarily. Uh, you can only tell that uh, with the product. So 
Hey, Moses did the best he could under the circumstances, and God protected him from worse things. Mm -hmm. And the prophets too, and Paul, who writes Thessalonians. The, the truth about God or the Lord in the Torah and the prophets and the writings, I'm talking about the Old Testament. Jesus came and removed the veil for those who have turned to him as their savior. And Jesus calls us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We must correctly explain the word of truth, according to 2 Timothy 2.15. The two of you don't seem to be too upset with the material we've covered. <laughs> but I can think that there are many listeners who find this material quite shocking. Jesus is the trump card mm -hmm. to understanding God. It has to fit with what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not true. Mm -hmm. He's our touchstone. Yeah. And we must put Jesus in the place of preeminence. And we must look to him for the truth about God. Mm -hmm. Every story we hear or read because that's our only safety. Mm -hmm. Well, and as we've referred to in the past, the Jesus, God's statement uh, to the disciples, to three of the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. You know, here you've got Moses and Elijah and, and God's voice says, this is my son, listen to him. Yeah. He's the one you need to listen to. And that uh, is, is what we've been talking about here. And it's carried out in, in the instruction that God gave the disciples. Yeah. The verse that jumped out when I was uh, listening a little while ago was Micah 6, 8. Uh, you know, what does he require of you in regards to the, the things uh, where we were talking about the tests? Um, he requires for us to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And that verse just, you know, sort of settled a little bit deeper in my heart as I was listening. So, yeah, thank yeah. you. Micah 6 verse 8 is very definitive in terms of what God requires of us. Hmm. So this gives me a perspective to go back and look at all those passages that I had just put a question mark in the margin, like, it didn't yeah. make sense. I didn't know how to understand it, but it didn't fit that God right. was that way, as it said right there in the words. And I just put a question mark, like, don't know what to do with that. And now <laughs> I can go back and understand those in a more consistent way because of the picture of, of God that Jesus gives us mm -hmm. that, that makes it fit together. Yeah, that's good. So how many question marks do you have? I've never counted them. I just, you know, come across <laughs> them every once in a while. <laughs> uh, I have lots. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad that I live after Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly at this time in Earth's history, 
when we have so much information about the older manuscripts and we have so many translations and we have so much uh, product from archaeology uh, and science, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. We live in a favored time in Earth's history. Just from a very selfish point of view, as I'm getting older, pain management has never been better on the face <laughs> of Earth, you know? <laughs> good. That's good. Yeah. And yet, I have, to, yeah. I, I have to admit, it is a challenge. Some of these stories that we've looked at, to, it's not easy to just set aside what I've always believed and try to see it in a different way. And uh, it doesn't come naturally. It, it takes focused effort. And mm -hmm. uh, I have to admit, I'm still, still struggling with some of them myself. Um, yeah. You know, the Abraham and Isaac story. Yeah, we need to talk more about that one, mm -hmm. I think, in a future podcast. Good. We will do that. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to climb Everest, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. But yeah. just think about it when you casually drop it to a friend you're talking to. Oh, when I climbed Everest. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a couple of good hits of oxygen up on the way today. Good, <laughs> Some good truth bombs that I will definitely be uh, letting marinate. So yeah. appreciate it. I learned some good stuff today. Yeah. Thank are you are you mixing your metaphors? You're gonna marinate <laughs> <I> truth bombs. <laughs> I must be getting hungry and feeling very. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. Hey guys, thanks for showing up. Let's pray together, dear God. How we want to see you clearly. We know if we see you clearly, we will love you more dearly. Mm. follow you more nearly you're wonderful thank you for your patience with us mm. amen 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 joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.